Welcome to American Players Theater Talk Backs to Go. I'm Buzz Kemper, and I invite you to take a walk over to the touchstone with Orange Schroeder and me as Orange talks with director Tim O'Sell and actor James Ridge about APT's 2018 production of Exit the King by Eugen Ionesco. Today we're talking about uh, Ionesco's play Exit the King, and I have with me our, our director Tim O'Sell and Jim Ridge, who's playing Berenger the First, the King. And this play was written in French in 1962 by Ionesco, who was a Romanian playwright, and it's often referred to as an absurdist drama. Can you tell us a little bit about what that term means? Uh, absurdism, uh, I think the definition of absurdism is real people, human beings who are in a situation that have to deal with absurd things, things that couldn't possibly happen, happen. For example, in rhinoceros, people turning into rhinoceros. It's like, well, that can't happen. Mm -hmm. Yes, but it is happening. So that's the basic definition of absurdism. And what happens in this play that is absurd? Uh, facts, <laughs> time. Yeah time because he's a he's 400 and some years old mm -hmm. and that's not really true well it is in the it play. is in the play mm -hmm. and the fact that um nature at one time obeyed king Berenger the first but it's not now so that's an absurd thing he has two wives which is not so absurd, but, <laughs> but he has to deal well, with that. It's absurd. But it, not, it is absurd, yes. Impossible. And um, so, so there are those, those facts, especially the natural stuff is yeah. really odd. But you have to take it at, at it is true for the world. Right. Yeah, I, have, and, I have a quote here uh, by Ionesco in one of his uh, writings that I think uh, speaks to it really well. He says, we need to be virtually bludgeoned into detachment from our daily lives, our habits, and mental laziness, which conceal from us the strangeness of the world. So that was always the point of the absurdist playwrights, was to shake what we, uh, the ruts that we get in, and the, our way of seeing the world, to shake it uh, by these strange and incongruent circumstances to make us see life as it really is, instead of how we habitualized it. Yeah. And right at the beginning of the play, the guard says, the sun has stopped listening. Mm -hmm. And that's right at the beginning of the play. So that should actually hook the audience into leaning forward and, oh, what kind of world is this? Mm -hmm. And I think that keeps us constantly hooked into um, the play itself. Because the play, the plot of the play is very simple. Mm -hmm. Straight line, yeah. Yes, it's in the title, which is really La Morte... Something. I forgot. Uh, yeah. The king is, dies. Dies the king or dies, is dying is or dying. the king yeah. dies himself. Yeah, or the mm -hmm. king's death. Mm -hmm. Something along those lines. And um, it must be difficult to decide how to set a play that's in a, a sort of other world. What decisions did you make about that? Well, he's very clear about what the set is. He says there's a throne for the king, and then there are two smaller thrones for the two queens. And he also says there's a radiator mm -hmm. that doesn't work so well. <laughs> and that's about it. Yeah. I mean, he talks about a window and all that stuff, but, but that's all um, incidental, really. But he just says this is happening. And the other thing he's very clear about at the end of the play 
is that everything disappears except the king and the throne, and it all turns into a kind of gray mist, haze, light thing. And he goes to, Ionesco goes to great length to say, this is very, very important to the play. And it, the play ends with stage directions, mm -hmm. a page of stage directions. Mm -hmm. Does he normally give a lot of stage direction, or is uh, it? You know, I don't know. I don't know that many UNESCO yeah. plays. Yeah, rhinoceros. I don't think there's a whole lot going on in rhinoceros yeah. other than people. You have to kind of figure it out, which has been the kind of the fun part, but also the bane of our work is figuring out what it means mm -hmm. and um, and what tone. That's right. the biggest. Thing. That's the, the big tone. It's really hard. So um, when you talk about the tone, there's an aspect of clowning in the play. Does that contribute to the, the feeling? Yes. <laughs> Do you want to start? <laughs> uh, sure. Um, uh, I, when I first read the play, uh, I was put off. Um, I, just a first quick pass through, I was like, oh, it's a whole play about someone dying. <laughs> right. We. <Yeah. laughs> but uh, because it's Ionesco who wrote it, he took this on. He said it was prompted by, uh, he thought, what if someone asked me the question, you're going to die in 10 minutes. Now what? Uh, and so the play then is really, and because it's absurdist, because it's Ionesco that wrote it, he, it's an exploration of how crazy we are in our own lives when we consider our own existence, our own mortality, the lengths that we go to to uh, shape and bend reality. Uh, he says, the king says over and over, they told me I wouldn't die until I decided, uh, you know, right. and it, which is utterly absurd when you're watching it. And it's like, oh, how often do I kind of live that way? If I eat organic and I exercise, then what? What? You're not going to, you'll die when you decide? No. So it's that absurdity right. that lends itself to there. We're finding that there are these great big moments exploded sort of out in clowning, ridiculousness. And then there are moments that just really land rootedly, like Chekhov, right? Truth, mm -hmm. truth. Mm -hmm. um, Ionesco writes a lot about Punch and Judy puppet shows. Mm -hmm. And there are even parts of the play where he says, this should be played like a Punch and Judy show. So that idea of kind of primary colors, but kind of violent, but for kids, is in the play a lot. Mm -hmm. And the, the comedy stuff, so Jim and I had started a conversation, what, what was about last, middle of last yeah. week, right? Where I sat down next to Jim during a break, there was about two minutes left on the break, and I said, is he a clown? And I think Jim went, uh-oh. Oh, no. no. <laughs> the play doesn't work unless they get to be a clown. clown. And it's like, well, I didn't know. And, and what I was really asking really was, what kind of clown right. are you? Because there's so many different kinds of clowns. We have clowns in Shakespeare. We have smart clowns. We have fools. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we have circus clowns. Mm -hmm. and so we have that, that kind of thing. And so we actually started this discussion of what kind of clown is Barringer. And really, everybody in the cast is a comedian in a way, just like Friends. On Friends, all six of them are 
comedians. They just have diff- handle different kinds of comedy. Mm-hmm. So in Behringer, what did where we got to? I don't know. At least for now, uh, for the model na- is uh, Frank Burns on Mash. On Mash. <clears throat> That's very you know, specific. Yeah, yes. That, well, it's that because that character. I mean, the there's ego. The, the actor e- there, just flew out of my head. But Larry yeah, Linville. Larry right. Linville. Yeah. So it's all ego driven. To a ridiculous state, right? You know, ridiculous. no one else in that show or in the viewing audience thinks that he actually has the power and status that he claims to have, and moves through the world as though he has. Um, so there's that's al- yeah. Of- there's also a heightened kind of style with Frank Burns and some of those comedians that happen um, on television sitcom stuff. And uh, Faulty Towers is a good example mm-hmm. of the British kind of version of the comedy, how crazy it gets at times. It actually gets a tiny bit farcical, although we don't have mm-hmm. any doors mm-hmm. to slam, um, but it does get farcical in its, um, it, its misses and its, um, I don't know, improbabilities, mm-hmm. coincidences, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It, it, so it's, it's actually very, very funny, and it gets very physical. So the, the circus clowning, which is what I take towards the physical or the um, commedia kind of stuff, it does get physical in mm-hmm. places. Like when he can't walk, and he uses his scepter to walk, and, and he falls down. And I mean, <laughs> there's, there's this stuff. And, it, and so it's funny. It scares the heck out of me because I, I don't see funny on the page. But I'm starting to, and then these guys are teaching me a lot. I'm learning huge, huge amounts in this. And I want it to be funny. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of our conversations is, is I think we have a responsibility to make it uh, funny, entertaining, absurd, on our chair, fall on the floor at times, funny. Right. So that we can open up all kinds of doors so that when you get to the point where the king actually... Um, accepts mm-hmm. that the the parody because the play UNESCO says that the play is a parody of Greek tragedy, and it really is. So in the parody, it's funny. In the Greek tragedy stuff, where it ends, is universally. I don't know, not dark, dark. Well, well dark. I mean, and it depends on how you feel about the ending. Tra- well, depends how you feel tragic, about tragedy. tragedy. <laughs> yeah. If it's somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Occasionally, I bring up Lear because I go, I think this is a King Lear moment. Yeah. And Jim said in notes, what is that? What does that mean? What is to me? That's one thing that we were having to do is, mm-hmm. man, your vocabulary in rehearsal, it had better be precise. Right. And a lot of times I said, well, what do you actually mean by that word? Because we might be thinking two different things, similar, but not exactly the same. And I think for us in rehearsal to develop this play specifically, and the more specific we get, the more absurd it is. Mm-hmm. Because then the, the specifics actually bash against each other. If it's general, then it feels like everybody's on the same train. They're not. All six of these characters are on different trains. They're different satellites, and they're bashing against each other. Yeah. And that's also what's funny. Right. Yeah, that's where yeah that's where the clowning can be sophisticated rather yeah. than I mean it would right. still appeal to my twelve year old but sure <laughs> sure yes yes it gets more specific so it appeals to to a wider audience a wider audience <laughs> it's kind of like Mash did right 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 right, right. yeah so um, King Berenger is a king of course and um, 
So there's a little bit of the element of divine right, would you mm. say, about him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, UNESCO talks about Richard II, which mm-hmm. was the last king, basically, of divine right, right, at least in the British thing, because then after Richard II, then Henry, when Henry IV came in, it was kind of by popular right. mm-hmm. demand rather than succession and divine right. And, the, and um, Ionesco talks about the prison scene in Richard II, the last, in the last act, that, that realization of being a man. And, uh, and there's a scene in, in um, Exit the King where he talks, Berenger talks to the servant, which is very similar to Richard II talking to the stable guy in the, in the prison. So you can see the influence of, of Shakespeare and Absolutely. On, mm-hmm. yeah. on the play. Yeah. And I've understood that Inesco um, composed the play when he was ill and frightened of death mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah. inspired by his childhood obsession with death, death in which he believed you could avoid it. Um, and if you didn't get sick, you might live forever. Mm-hmm. So um, is, is that something that the play negates? I mean... Oh, what actually it uphold well because the cat speech is really all about that. You know, yeah, maybe I, that's why the cat comes back and you can't burn it because of that whole mm. oh, you can't really nothing can really die, and that's why I had the dream later on about the cat. You'll there's this huge speech <laughs> about this cat. <laughs> yeah, I, I you definitely will have uh, an opinion about that. It, if you hear this and know going into the play that he had an obsession with death and uh, you see him working that out Mm -hmm. Um, and that sort of the the denial of it is the thing that I think is really really interesting and we talked about why should we be doing this play now today and um, and part of the thing that we came up to against was I think anytime you start talking about how should we die (laughs) <laughs> uh, always ends up in um, a conversation about how do we live? Right, right. Because until that point, you know, that's what we're busy about is, is the living. And so knowing that the point is out, it's like we've talked about, it's like Christmas Carol, you know. We c- keep coming back to that play year after year. It's because we, something in us wants to be reminded that tick-tock, tick-tock. So what are you going to do with today? right. And I think that's part of what's woven through this play is it's out there, it's on the horizon. This is how ridiculous we can be in denying it. So instead of denying it, live, live right. fully. Right, right. We've also made parallels to Our Town. What mm-hmm. Emily discovers in the third act right. of Our Town is that we didn't know. Oh, all that was going on and on. we didn't notice? Yeah. And that's one of the things that theater reminds us of so brilliantly. Right. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you both. Thank You're you. You're welcome. Talkbacks to Go is a production of Orange Tree Imports and Audio for the Arts. Our theme music is Er by Steve Tibbetts, and it appears here by permission of the artist, courtesy of ECM Records. Please find us on iTunes and YouTube under APT Talkbacks to Go. With Orange Schroeder, I'm Buzz Kemper. Thank you for listening.